0: Well, friends, this morning, I'm going to ask if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, During this four-Sunday season of Advent leading up to the day of Christmas, we'll be considering Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Christ in particular, and then his birth of the Virgin Mary. This morning we'll look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6a, that first little collection of verses there. Let's give our attention now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. These are the very words of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And God now add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word this morning. Well, I want to share with you, to start this morning, one of my most embarrassing um, Christmas memories. I don't have very many memories uh, from childhood, but this was a memory from back in college. Uh, Olivia and I at the time were dating and we went to a Christmas party with uh, a family that was sort of affiliated with our family, a woman who I believe at the time was dating one of my uncles, and we all went to a Christmas party together, not really knowing most of the people who would be there. Uh, And it was a Christmas party where it was a a number of Christians, a number of non-Christians, and they decided that it would be a fun activity to read the Christmas narratives together and read the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus and I thought well sure that's a great idea and then they made the decision that because I was a theology student at the time I ought to lead uh, the reading of these birth narratives and then they decided that instead of just all of us reading them together we would sort of go back and forth I would read one verse and then all the group would read the next verse and then I would read another verse and all the group would read the next verse and of course we started in Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus, and you can imagine how poorly that went because I'm trying to make sure I'm pronouncing all these goofy names correctly, and they're trying to make sure they're pronouncing all these goofy names correctly, and we're all trying to do it together, and everyone's trying to come up with their own pronunciation on the fly as we're reading the birth narrative of Matthew. And we read through this genealogy, and it takes about five or six minutes, because for some reason, when a group starts reading something together, we slow down to a snail's pace, and we think we've got to read at this pace. So the whole thing took about six or seven minutes. And by the time we were done, I was ready to go home. I was just, I was done. This is too, too much. This is one of the reasons why, Christian, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you just be honest with yourself. Do you not, most of the time, when you come to the genealogies of the Bible, you peruse them, right? You skim them. You sort of go, oh, I know that name. I know that name. Yeah, Rob's ready to be honest about it, right? Yeah, I do that. I think most of us do, right? If you don't outright skip it, right? At least you'd maybe skim it, but you certainly don't go in depth on it. And yet, Matthew, when Matthew begins his gospel, when he starts his record of who Jesus Christ is, he spends the first 17 verses going through a lengthy record of the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus Christ. There's a reason for that, and I want to share with you that reason this morning. Matthew has an agenda. Every one of the gospel writers has a certain agenda, the certain thing they want to get across to you about who Jesus Christ is. Matthew wants to get across a certain uh, perspective on who Christ is as uh, the true Israelite, the one who's bringing about the promises of God, and in accordance with that, he's got to show you how Jesus Christ belongs to a certain family. How Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. How Jesus Christ is a descendant of Abraham. That's what we're going to consider in this Advent series. These different emphases that Matthew gives us on who Jesus is the son of. And we're going to start this morning with that first one. That he is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of Abraham. Now you might wonder why that's so important. Well, if we go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God had made a promise. He had cursed the serpent, the devil, and He had made a promise to that devil that although His seed was going to uh, be combative against the seed of the woman, one day a seed of the woman was going to come and bruise the serpent's head. So He was going to strike at the heel of her seed, but her seed was going to come and stomp on His head, essentially, and thereby deliver mankind from the curse of sin and the penalty of death and save the world from the mistake and the fall that Adam and Eve had just entered into. God had made this pledge that through the seed of the woman, this Savior was going to come. And then, hundreds, thousands of years later, God had spoken to this man, Abraham, called Abram at the time for most of his life, but God had spoken to Abraham and told him that from Abraham's seed would come one who would bless the nations. Rob read it for us in Genesis 22, verse 18. God said, in your seed, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Jesus himself said in John 4, verse 22, salvation is of the Jews. If you, if you want to think about it this way, in the Old Testament, what you have is the promise of God to send a Savior of the world increasingly narrowed down in scope right down to the point where you get to the manger and the birth of Jesus Christ. God starts Genesis 315. It's this universal scope. God's created the world and all the universe. And he gives this promise that at some point, somewhere, some seed of the woman is going to come and bruise the serpent's head and deliver the people of God from sin and death. And then God speaks to Abram, and he calls Abram in particular, and he says, Abram, out of your family, that Savior is going to come. And then he goes on, and not just from Abraham, but from Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, that Savior was going to come. And then not just from Judah, but from the family of David and the lineage of David, that Savior was going to come. And all through the line, you see it's increasingly narrowing down right to the point where you get to Matthew chapter 1 and the birth of Jesus Christ. And Matthew is diligent. He wants to show you why Jesus is qualified. Because he is a son of David. He is a son of Abraham. He is a qualified redeemer. God had said he was going to send the Savior through the family of Abraham, and Matthew is adamant that you understand Jesus is qualified. He is the son of Abraham. Now the people of God had to wait a long time to get that promise fulfilled. Abraham had originally received the promise probably around the year 2000 B.C. If you want to just get a rough estimate. 2,000 years of waiting. 42 generations of waiting. From the time that Abraham received that promise all the way to the coming of Christ. It's a long time. And the people of God have been waiting and looking. Is is any one of these people called and equipped to be the savior of the world? And they've been waiting and waiting, and perhaps they've lost patience at some point. Matthew Henry, the Puritan, commentating on this text, had a great quote. He said, Delays of promised mercy, although they exercise our patience, do not weaken God's promise. Delays of promised mercies, though they exercise our patience, do not weaken God's promise. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, through your seed, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. And then everyone had to wait. 2,000 years. Generations of men and women came and went, lived and died. And it wasn't coming. But God's promise was never weakened. God's promise never faded away. And after 2,000 years, what we know from the Gospels is that Jesus Christ comes into the world. And he comes not just as another man, but as one who can fulfill all of God's promises that he gave to Abraham. He's qualified. He's a son of Abraham. He's one who can come and do the thing that God promised he would do for Abraham. Now, the chief promise there, what is that promise? God made many promises to Abraham, but the chief promise is the promise of an undoing of the curse and a bringing in of blessing undoing the curse and bringing in the blessing. God said, as was read for us earlier, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had cursed the world because of sin. Genesis 3.17, God had put a curse on the earth. God had, uh, in a sense, put a curse on us because of our sin. Sin brings the curse. And because of our sin, the world had become cursed through us. And generations of sinners lived and died under that curse. Galatians 3.10 talked about it. The curse of God's law. The curse of God's law. God had demanded perfect obedience in in, in the original creation of man. He was worthy of perfect obedience. We did not give perfect obedience. We fell short of God's righteousness and thereby we became liable to the curse and the punishment of sin. We were those who were called to a standard and we did not meet the standard. We did not live up to God's perfect expectations. We didn't even want to anymore. We had no desire for the things of God in our sin. And that brought curse on sinners. But God says to Abraham that through his seed, God is going to remove the curse and restore his blessings to the world. That's why Galatians 3 said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. God had said, Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to undo the curse of sin, and I'm going to restore to you and all mankind the blessing that was lost in the fall. There's a Christmas hymn that I love. Um, We'll sing it at our Christmas Eve service, if not before then, too. uh, Joy to the world. Probably heard it once or twice. Uh, And there's a line in there uh, that is one of the repeated lines that you repeat at that staccato tempo, right? And it's, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Jesus comes to bring his blessings and make them flow as far as the curse is found. That's what God is promising through Abraham. That as far as the curse of sin has gone, my blessing will come and go. There will not be one square inch of my world that I will leave still under the curse of sin. Through the seed of Abraham, God is saying, I'm going to completely reduce and remove the curse of sin and I'm going to completely restore it with blessing. The blessing that was lost, the blessing that was taken from us because of our sins and our disobedience to God. God says, I'm going to restore it to you through your seed, Abraham. Uh, In preparation for the sermon, I did a little bit of research and I did a little bit of number crunching um, and I found out some fascinating things about Abraham. Abraham lived at a a pretty interesting time in world history. Uh, He lived at a time when the lifespans of men were decreasing, but his ancestors still lived a great long time. Abraham. If you uh, crunch the numbers, according to the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham overlapped with the life of Noah for some 50, 60 years. Noah himself overlapped with the original Adam for several decades of his life. So you think about the man Abraham, he is secondhand removed from the original man Adam. Abraham lived at a time where just a hundred years before him, the world had been divided at the Tower of Babel. Abraham had living ancestors who for hundreds of years in his life could tell him about the time when all mankind was united with one language. But then because of their disobedience, God had scattered them and confused their languages. God could uh, rather, Abraham could have gone to Noah himself for 50, 60 years and heard stories about the world before the flood. What was the world like before God destroyed the world in the flood? And he could have gone to Noah and heard a secondhand account about Adam's record of the world before the fall. What was the world like before the curse? What was the world like before it got all messed up? And then at that moment, God comes to that man, Abraham, and he says to Abraham, that thing that was lost, that story that you're hearing, Abraham, I'm going to undo it through you and your descendant. I'm going to undo it through you and your seed. Ultimately, he's going to do this by taking away sin. The curse came about because of sin. And so the blessing can only come when sin is removed. If sin is what brings the curse, then in order to get rid of the curse, you've got to get rid of the sin so that the blessing might come. That was pictured for Abraham in God's covenant sign that he gave him. God gave Abraham in Genesis 17, the covenant sign of circumcision. And this bloody act, this painful act, symbolized how God was going to cut away man's sinful corruption and return him to the purity and wholeness that he had always planned for man to live in. Circumcision, although it was originally in the flesh, was always designed to point to the removal of sin from our hearts. Even in Deuteronomy 10.16, Moses calls on Israel to circumcise the foreskin of their hearts to return to God, to flee from sin, to forsake sin and to come to God and be made whole and pure again. Abraham received that covenant sign of circumcision that symbolized how through bloodshed, sin would be taken away and atoned for and covered and purity and blessing would result. God would provide a blood offering to take away the sins of the world. And he would do it by making an ultimate sacrifice, a sacrifice that at one point he had called Abraham to make, but a sacrifice that he had stopped Abraham from following through on. If you know the story, you know that at one point in his life, after the son of promise was given, his son Isaac, Abraham was told by God to go and take his only son Isaac and to sacrifice him to make a blood offering to the Lord. And Abraham took Isaac there up Mount Moriah and he took him to go and sacrifice him. And he tied his own son down to the sacrificial slab, the altar, and he was ready. You get the impression that Abraham has the knife up in the air and he's ready to strike down and kill his only son of promise. And at that moment, God, through an angel, tells Abraham, stop, Abraham, don't harm the boy. I see your faith. I see your trust in me. And God provided instead a ram of sacrifice. God had called Abraham to sacrifice his only son and then he had stopped him. But God was going to provide atonement by not stopping. God was going to send his only son into the world. Jesus called the Lamb of God. And the Son of God was going to come and die for the sins of the world. And through that death, through that bloody sacrifice, that cursed death of the cross, as Galatians talked about it, through that death of Jesus Christ on the cross, sin would be taken away and the blessings that God promised through Abraham would come about through the blood of Jesus. The, The promise that God gave Abraham of worldwide blessing through his seed and the removal of curse through his descendant is accomplished through Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that Jesus in John 8, 56 said to the Jews that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. When you think about Abraham, you ought to think of him as a Christian. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham rejoiced to see me. Abraham rejoiced by faith to believe in me. And the Jews at that moment are a little perplexed, right? Jesus, you're not even 50 years old yet. How could you even think Abraham knows who you are? And Jesus then makes the statement before Abraham was, I am. The God who had made the promise to Abraham is the God who is going to provide the answer for Abraham. Abraham doesn't get these promises because he's so worthy and so deserving. God had made that clear from the beginning. There's an interesting story in Genesis 15. I'll encourage you to read it this afternoon if you have time. In Genesis 15, God renews His promise to Abraham and He gives him a vision and a sign. And in that sign, God tells Abraham to gather some animals and then to cut them in two. This was the way that you you quite literally cut covenants in, in the old world. A covenant was cut when symbolic, sacrificial animals were cut in half and separated and the parties of the covenant agreement would pass through the blood and through the entrails of these sacrificed animals and the implication was if i fail to uphold my part of the covenant arrangement may i be cut in half like these animals may i be guilty and worthy of death the way these animals have been cut in two? and the fascinating thing in genesis 15 is that although god makes the promise to abraham and he covenants with abraham Abraham does not walk through the middle of the animals. That's the way it worked in covenants. Both both parties, the two parties of a covenant, would both walk through together because they're both taking responsibility. But when God makes a covenant with Abraham, Abraham doesn't walk through. God goes through. And it's as if God is saying to Abraham, I will bear full responsibility for bringing these promises Abraham. I will take it on myself to do everything that I am promising to give you. The covenant God makes with Abraham is gracious. That's what grace means, friends. If you've ever wondered, what does grace mean? It means that God promises to do for you what he demands of you. God promises to do for you what he demands of you. God demanded a perfect, righteous life, and Jesus Christ comes and lives it for you god demanded a blood sacrifice to cover for sins and not one of us is worthy not one of us could die a death good enough to accomplish that so god does for you what you could never do for yourself so that you might be blessed apart from deserving it it's by grace it's by god's grace no one is worthy of this blessing but god through his grace gives it to those who are of faith it's one reason why galatians And Romans are so clear that the only way to receive Abraham's blessing is to have the faith that Abraham had. Galatians 3.9, we read it earlier. Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Turn over with me, if you would, uh, to Romans chapter 4. Get over to the uh, book of Romans, just a few books after Matthew there. And look at Romans chapter 4. And uh, get your eyes on verse 13. Romans 4, verse 13. Paul is talking about how the blessing of God is received by grace through faith. And he's giving the example of Abraham as one who received God's gracious blessing through faith. And so Paul says, Romans 4, verse 13, For the promise that he, Abraham, would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith, so that it might be according to grace, that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. God's blessing given through Abraham by grace is only received through faith in Christ. Not by deserving it, not by earning it. The Jews in Jesus' day, many of them thought that they were worthy of God's blessing simply because they could trace their lineage back to Abraham. And Jesus chided them on that at a number of points. Because they thought that just because they were descendants of Abraham that somehow they deserved the blessings of Abraham. John the Baptist at one point called out to these unbelieving Jews and he told them, God is able of the stones to raise up children to Abraham. In some sense, it is no hard thing for God to raise up children to Abraham and only through faith in Christ do we receive Abraham's promises. We read it earlier, but Galatians three twenty six and 29, through faith in Christ, we become God's sons. We become heirs of Abraham's promises. We who once were children of disobedience, children of the devil, enslaved under sin, Galatians 3.26, now you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Christian, because Jesus is the son of Abraham and through faith in him, you now have a new father. You no longer serve your old father, the devil. You no longer live in his house, You have a new father now. You are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You have a new house being prepared for you in heaven. You have a new family. Galatians 3.27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You once were a part of the family of sin and disobedience, and now through Christ, You've been united together in one. And Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ's, if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When God looks at you, Christian, he says to you the same thing that he said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And you will be a blessing to the nations. God has circumcised your hearts through faith. In Christ Jesus, Romans 2.29 says, you have received God's blessing through Christ the Son of Abraham so that you through Him might bless the world through His Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.14 talks about how we have received the promise of Abraham and it is the promise of the Spirit through faith. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God and thereby equipped to bless the world. If you've ever wondered how you are able to bear The fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5 and verse 22 and and, and onward. The reason you can bear fruit of the Spirit is because you've received the promised Spirit through faith in Christ. And that promised Spirit came about to you in fulfillment to God's promises to Abraham. And now you, as sons and daughters of Abraham, and therefore sons and daughters of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are blessed with the Holy Spirit so that you can now go be a blessing. What is God's plan for you? What is God's plan for the church? It is to bless the world through you. That as you share God's blessings and as you share God's love amongst yourselves, God pours out his love and his blessing on the world around you. All the nations of the world will be blessed in you, church of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has made you one in him. God has blessed you with the blessing of Abraham so that you might take the promise of Abraham into all the world. Have You ever wondered why do we send missionaries around the world? Why do we support people like Lee Shelnut going to Pakistan, going to Rwanda? Why do we want to be a part of training up pastors in Uganda and and in other parts of Africa and even the Middle East and the Arab world? It's because there are still places where the curse of sin is existing, unopposed by the gospel. And the blessing of Abraham has not yet come to all the nations of the world. And so that's the impetus. That's the reason why. Because God's blessing must flow as far as the curse is found. That's why you and I are called to live this life as the church. That's why you and I are called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Not just so that we can live a certain way, but so that through our blessings received from God, the world might be blessed through us. God's blessings for the nations come through you, Christian, and and he has no plan B. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There is no plan B for the blessing of God to come into the world except through the body of Christ. That is the promise of God for you, Christian. If by faith you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, that is God's promise for you. If you're here today and you've not received that promise, if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, then God calls you to come, receive him, come, trust in him, come, believe in him. Be blessed in him, and then go out and share his blessings with all the world. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this good word. Lord, thank you for your help in understanding your word this morning. Father, we pray that you would please strengthen us through your spirit, Lord, to receive blessing through faith, and then, Lord, to give blessing in love, that we might be the sons and daughters of God, living out the blessing of God that you've given us through that son of Abraham, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all these things in his precious name. Amen.